You're boring, she said to our teacher in the middle of class. Suddenly, I was fully awake. You're boring meant, who are you that we should listen to you? Who are you to be teaching us? But this wasn't the first time that Alicia had challenged our teacher in class. So he laughed and he said, you know what I tell my kids? You aren't bored, you're boring. So no one knows exactly who it was who wrote the letter of Second Peter. We're going to hear it at the end of worship. But if you listen, you'll be pretty clear that the, that the authority of this writer, that authority has been called into question. And you'll notice that this writer responds in a way that's not really all that different from my high school teacher. The author wrote, we ourselves heard this voice from heaven. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a very dark place until the light dawns. That prophetic message was then and is now that Jesus is the one that we're waiting for. And the writer of Second Peter believed that wherever that message is shared, and by whomever it's shared, that there shines the power and presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, just like up on that mountain. Jesus is the one that we're waiting for, and Jesus is already here. So this week I had many chances to get to know Megan better, All Saints' new director of communications. And on Thursday over lunch, we had this wonderful conversation about prayer. Megan is a person of prayer. You know, it seems to me that what keeps people from praying is not so different from what keeps people from coming to worship. Is Jesus the one that I'm waiting for? Is Jesus really here? I mean, isn't there boredom here in worship as in prayer? Isn't there disbelief, disunity, division? Aren't there fear and a lack of trust and also arrogance and a lack of humility? Aren't there so many other so-called distractions? You know the Oscars are tonight, right? The author of Second Peter seems confident in that prophetic message, even given this overwhelming counter-evidence. You're right. All of this is present in worship and in prayer, the author seems to say. So be it. Get up and don't worry. Be attentive, tend the lamp, keep worshiping, keep praying. Jesus is the one that we're waiting for. And even so, Jesus is here. 
know, I've come to believe that the body of Christ gathered for worship is just as distracting as our own human bodies when we pray. In the body of Christ, as in our own human bodies, there are wandering minds, noises, worries, pains in the knee. And yet, in this human body, it's in this very human body that Jesus Christ was pleased to dwell. And it is this human body that Jesus Christ transformed, not only on the mountain, but also in the resurrection. And it is this body of Christ in which Jesus has built a home for all of us. So Jesus is the one that we're waiting for. Jesus is here. So be attentive. Listen for Jesus. Megan talked about when she first started using meditation in her prayer. And she said her mind then was just a jumble of to-do lists and worries and, oh, look at that. I've heard this called monkey brain. But then Megan asked for advice from a nun. And this nun said, use a mantra when you pray, a phrase that you use with your breathing to refocus you. So Megan picked a phrase from a, a song that meant a great deal to her. And whenever she got distracted during her prayerful meditation, she used those words to invite herself back to the bright and the clear presence of God. So here is the deepest wisdom about prayer and worship that I've ever heard that distractions are not nearly as dangerous as our reactions to them. Our reactions to those distractions are what's most dangerous. Boredom, disbelief, disunity or division, fear and a lack of trust, or arrogance and a lack of humility, the Oscars or anything else. Usually our reaction to these, in prayer or in worship or in our families or anywhere else, our reaction is automatic. And that reaction is what causes the real problem. Blaming ourselves or blaming others, despair, giving up, just white-knuckling it. But what are the Oscars or those pains in the knee, of course? compared to what we make of them. Get up. Don't be afraid. God dwelt in these bodies of ours, in Jesus Christ, and God fills the body of Christ with life. So, of course, God can navigate anything that these bodies throw at God. Bodies do not get in God's way, because neither did the cross. Instead, through the power and presence of Jesus Christ, God transformed them. So it's March 2nd, March already. And maybe you, like I did, learned in school that March comes in like a, a lion, right? And goes out like a lamb. 
just the other day, a friend of mine was reminiscing about all of the art that hung in his classroom as a kid showing the lion and the lamb at March. And one image in particular struck him. Even decades later now, he said it was the lion pulling back a curtain of wind and storms, making a way for that lamb to bring the light of spring. This has always been an image of peace for me, my friend said. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. Jesus is the one who tamed the lion and emboldened the lamb. Jesus is the one who took the cross, which we humans intended as a permanent interruption of God's grace. Using his own body, Jesus transformed the cross so that it would not get in the way, but that it would instead prepare the way, prepare God's way. And it was with his body that Jesus transformed all shame and all death to make way for our very own bodies, the body of Christ, to receive salvation and eternal life. So imagine that boredom and pain and all distractions like that lion and that lamb like you entering into the presence of God. And what if there was no battle there, but instead peace? Imagine that that lion of distraction is pulling back the curtain and imagine that the presence of Jesus is coming and embracing This is more like what is really going on in worship and prayer. And it's because Jesus has transformed our bodies and all distractions. And through Jesus, they suddenly reveal to us brilliant and holy life. Just like when God distracted Peter in that cloud, when Jesus got the disciples up off of the ground. And so what is it that we can do with the all these distractions in our human bodies and in the body of Christ. We can let God teach us what to do. Let God handle them. Let the lion and the lamb lay down together. And specifically, maybe, we can simply notice those distractions and then let them go. Let them just roll down the mountain. For when we don't have that freedom, Consider that God may be the one who's distracting us. And so try making that so-called distraction our focus in prayer or in worship. Or maybe in other cases we simply gently offer those distractions to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is the best that I can do today. Because no matter what boredom or pain or distraction comes our way, we are totally God's. Jesus named us and washed us and claimed us. And every member of this body of Christ, just like every cell in these bodies of ours with their monkey brains, no matter what, Jesus is still the one that we're waiting for. And Jesus is still here. 
to be attentive in worship, tend the lamp in prayer, listen for Jesus always. Okay, so that first story I told about when Alicia told the teacher, you're boring. So that was high school anthropology class. But a few years before that, when we were in biology, another teacher invited us to find our pulse. All right, so she showed us with the two fingers here on the neck. She told us to listen for 10 seconds and count the beats. So as you might imagine, the whole classroom went quiet as we all felt for our pulses and we counted until suddenly Georgina burst into panicked tears. She called out to the teacher, I don't have a pulse. Am I dead? <laughs> well, Jesus is the one that we're waiting for. And Jesus really is here. And Jesus really does specialize in dead bodies. Thanks be to God.